Junction 10 for uh, well over 30 years now. And I must have been in some kind of leadership for probably 25 years. And I've been on staff for 20 years almost. Um, I can't give you a single high point. I think there have been too many, to be honest. Um, obviously, it's amazing when prayers are answered, when we've seen people who've come to know Jesus and the joy of the Lord in their life, when we've had prayers answered. But I, I suppose the highest and best has to be just experiencing God, the presence, um, not only in Sunday services, you know, but when you gather with many or a few or when you're on your own uh, at home or whatever, but it's the presence. And out of the presence of God comes people getting saved and lives getting transformed and, and, and inevitably then society being transformed. But my prayer for our church very much is simply for the presence. Uh, I pray for glory on the house wherever our people are. Um, now, it goes without saying the church has changed a lot and I've changed a lot over the years. And I don't just mean I've got older. Okay. I'm very relaxed about things that I used to be uptight about. That's good. Um, because I've only got one truth. Jesus is my truth. And, um, you know, the church is not an organization that we've got to work to keep it going. The church is the body of Christ. Without him, we would shrivel and die. In fact, without him, we should shrivel and die. But um, the church exists. I read this this morning, supernaturally, miraculously, and at the cost of uh, the blood of Jesus Christ. But change is inevitable. It's inevitable, but it doesn't have to be controversial. I know it can be too fast or too slow or done for the wrong reasons, but it also can be done well and we can take everybody with us. It doesn't have to be controversial. But there's something that's important for me to say and there's a reason why I need to say it. I've worked at Junction 10 as a member of staff for 20 years and the first 14 years went by in a flash and were overwhelmingly positive. The last six years, I won't lie to you, have been more difficult. But there's a reason why I needed to tell you that. It is really the single point that reeled me in to study the life of Jacob. You see, I noticed that Jacob worked for his father-in-law, Laban, for 20 years. And the first 14 were a labor of love for the sake of his beloved Rachel. In fact, Genesis 28 and verse 20 says, they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. You probably know the story. He worked for seven years. He got tricked into marrying the older sister. And then he worked another seven years for Rachel after that. And then he would have been off. He would have gone. But he was persuaded to stay on for another six years. And it was tough. Jacob was broken by the time he left. But somewhere along the line, we all need to be broken, don't we? Uh, but when I noticed that, you know, 20 years and the last six more difficult, I knew I'd got to read this story. Let me tell you something about Jacob as we find him in Genesis 31. Laban's attitude, it says, towards him was not what it had been. And Laban's sons were downright hostile. Uh, they didn't acknowledge God's hand in all that Jacob had achieved. And Laban had never been fair to Jacob. In fact, for many years, he controlled him. Laban was a user. And Jacob must have felt robbed, not only when he found himself married to the wrong girl. In 
Genesis 31 and verse 6, he said to Laban's sons, You know, I've worked for your father with all my strength, and yet your father has cheated me by changing my wages ten times. But God had seen it all, and it was God who'd prospered Jacob. Now, you might say the younger Jacob met his match when he met Laban. Uh, deceitful, manipulative, selfish, controlling. But the years changed him. He became no longer the Jacob, the grasper of somebody else's birthright, but Jacob, the grasper of God. And it takes a lifetime to be transformed like that, to come to the place where you find your security in God alone. When you look back and you see that his hand was at work through it all, and you finally realize that everything you've been through was in his plan, however frustrating and baffling it might have been. Genesis 31 and verse 3 says, Then the Lord said to Jacob, Go back to the land of your fathers, and I will be with you. It was time to go home, to go back to his heritage and to the fulfillment of God's promise. And I sense that God is calling us back in a way, back to our first love, back to our original calling, back to our inheritance. Now, before I say any more about Jacob, and bear in mind I've got two Sundays to do this, I need to share with you some things God has been saying to me that I believe is relevant to all of us. As I said, this message has been six months in the making, so I went back to May in my journal of this year. Now, because I work for Junction 10 and I've been a leader for a long time and so on, I understand that changes at Junction 10 might have affected me more than most. But I believe the principles of what I'm saying are as relevant to you in your situation, even if you're not particularly involved in church life. So on the 14th of May this year, I was reading about Caleb, who was an old man, older than me even, and famously he said, give me my mountain. Caleb didn't withdraw to a comfortable life in retirement. He still had a cause, a, a passion, inspiration. But on the 14th of May, I've got to tell you, I wasn't feeling particularly inspired. And incidentally, on that day, UCB said, and now I know this is because I write it down, okay. It said, your mountain lies at the intersection of your greatest strengths and your greatest passions. So whether you're young or old, what you need to think about is what you're best at and what you care most about because that's what this means and that's your mountain to claim. Your vision has to be doing what you dream, that you dream of doing what you're best at for what you care most about. So anyway, I read about Caleb and then the next day I was reading Ezekiel 34. And that's another famous passage. It's all about shepherds. And it said the words were written down in Ezekiel 34 after the unthinkable had happened. The temple had been destroyed. Well, can I tell you, it seemed to me in May that the unthinkable had happened uh, to us. Because towards the end of 2014, we lost our building and our senior leader in the same week. And it was having a tremendous impact on us by May 2015. 
So I was reading this, and we were probably having a core team meeting or something, and I was thinking about questions that we should ask ourselves that arose from this chapter in Ezekiel. You know, are the weak being strengthened? Are the sick being healed? The injured bound up? The strays brought back? The lost sought after? Although it's not just for leaders, I mean, later on, read it and you'll see that God holds us all responsible for one another and for keeping one another close to him. I have no axe to grind at all, but I've got to say this. Six months ago, some people in our church, some people who were particularly close to me felt robbed. And I'm sorry if that meant that some people didn't respond very well. You know, we make mistakes, don't we? I know I do. And we all have our weaknesses. But some people felt robbed, and I, I only have to say it because I want to show what God said to me to address this. And I believe what God said to me would be useful for anybody here who might feel robbed. This is not just about the church. In your life, your marriage, your job, whatever, if you feel robbed. There are four things God said to me to address that. If you feel that life is unfair, which it very often is. Um, if you've lost something precious, if you feel robbed, you know. I realize that God slowly and carefully addressed this, and you can't always see it at the time, but if Satan or some person or situation has left you feeling robbed, here's what God said to me. Number one, God said, I will do whatever needs to be done in your situation. You see, Reading Ezekiel 34, I, I actually underline the things that it says in that chapter. I myself will search for my sheep, God said. I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them. I will gather them, pasture them, tend them. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. I will destroy the sleek and the strong. I'll shepherd the flock with justice. I will provide for them a land renowned for its crops. And who fulfilled all that promise? Jesus, who called himself the good shepherd. And he also said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Yes, some people left us, but he'll take care of them. And he'll take care of us. Jesus died for his people and he's not going to lose them because of a few local issues. And whatever is going on in your life, he brings you this promise, I myself will do what needs to be done in your situation. You can trust him. As we said earlier, our God is greater, our God is stronger. Secondly, God said, bring to me the empty vessels. I was reading now, still in May, where I'd got to the story of the widow who was in dire need. And uh, it might have been her fault because she was in so much debt. It might have been her late husband's fault. Interesting that the Bible doesn't apportion any blame. But the only thing she got was one little tiny jar of olive oil. So Elisha says, bring every empty jar you can find. Borrow them off other people. Don't just bring a few. And then start pouring out what you've got. And they were all filled. And my daily note said, again, I wrote it down, what do you do not have because you do not ask God? And you know what I put? A building. And we need three million pounds for that, Lord. Some people were very upset then about the loss of our old building. But as I said, the Bible makes no mention of why the widow was in this situation. And anyway, not everybody's stressed about the building because most people are taken up with their own lives. 
But to all of us, God says, bring all the empty jars. Bring that empty marriage to me. Bring that job that gives you no satisfaction to me. Bring the empty bank account to me. Bring the church to me if you don't feel we're where we should be. Bring all the empty, hopeless situations to me and cry out to me. Bring me the empty jars. Just come to me. In other words, God is saying, talk to me. This is not rocket science. This is God saying, you do not have because you do not ask. God says, bring it all to me and acknowledge that the little you have belongs to me and I'll multiply it. Do you know that is not an easy thing to do? Over the years, I imagine I probably have preached on tithing somewhere along the line. I can't remember, but that is comparatively easy compared to giving God everything you've got. Recognizing that your little jar of oil, your small bank account, your job that you're working so hard to hold on to it and so afraid of losing it or whatever else you're afraid of losing, your husband or your son or your daughter, to give them to God is hard. It's all out surrender. And there's always that little voice that says, what if God really takes it? Him, her. But God says, bring the empty vessels to him and pour out the little that you have. Third, God said, allow no distance to come between you and me. In John 16, Jesus said, in that day, you will ask me nothing. What day? What was he on about? Well, actually, what he was talking about that day was when he was going to rise from the dead because he just said to his disciples, you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. We have so many questions, but they'll all be silenced when we see him, when we have oneness with him. You know, we get glimpses of this sometimes. You know, we're back to the presence again, aren't we? Those moments when we don't have any questions. A lot of things are hidden from us now. But in that day, Jesus said, you won't be asking questions. And my commentary said, I wrote it down again, if anything's a mystery and coming between you and God, never look for the explanation in your mind, but in your spirit, that's where the problem is. In other words, pray for such oneness with God, such a spiritual experience that it no longer matters if you don't understand. Some things are unfathomable. I think, if I'm honest, it was unfathomable, unfathomable to me when people said they were in a room one day and God said, demolish the Junction 10 building. And even if you were there, I think a little tiny bit of you must think sometimes, Lord, I hope we got this right. But when there is no distance between you and God, you know, you know, in that day, you will ask me nothing. So when we don't understand, God says, pray, there'll be no distance between you and me. So by now, I was in June, <laughs> okay. And in June, I've got some really long prayers that I wrote down for our church. I was praying like mad for the church at, long, at Junction 10 and writing out these Long prayers, but there was one more point. God said he will have the last word. Circumstances do not dictate the outcome. What's going on in your heart dictates the outcome of your circumstances. I'm sure we all know Romans 8. 
Say it with me. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. That means there is no circumstance that can ruin us. And in all of your different lives, different problems, different heartache, no matter what happens, whether it's God doing something unfathomable or people making mistakes or the devil's evil intent, our God has the last word. He absolutely has the last word in your life and in our church, even in the cauldron that is the Middle East. Our God has the last word. So four things God says to anybody if you felt robbed. I'll do what needs to do. Bring all those empty vessels to me. Allow no distance between us. I will have the last word. In Genesis 31, God said to Jacob, I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you because he is the God who sees. And whatever has gone on in your life, he's seen it all. Jacob was far from faultless. I am very far from faultless, and so are you. But is there a situation in your life that's making you angry or frustrated, and maybe you feel it's cheated at you out of your blessing, your anointing, your energy, your inspiration? These things are our rights as children of God. And I know a little bit of the circumstances of some people here, but perhaps any of us, Uh, at work perhaps or at home you might be thinking Lord can you see what's going on or are you blind to it do you even care he is the God who sees and he'd seen every moment of Jacob's 20 years he'd seen his mistakes and he'd seen his mistreatment and God was always on the case and just as after 20 years Jacob is called to go back go back to the land of your father's I believe the God who sees is calling us to go back. What do I mean by that? In the words of R.T. Kendall commenting on this, God was saying to Jacob, here I am again. Life is not over yet. There is still time. And if you turn your life over to me, I will restore the years the locusts have eaten. I'll forgive all that's happened, all the mistakes you've made and the sins you've committed. And not only that, I'll cause everything you've done in the past, everything that haunts you, that leaves you terrified to work together for good. The good news for Jacob was that after 20 years, the promises still stand because he's also the God who remembers Shall we just pray for Olive before we move on? Father God, we just pray for our sister. Obviously feeling so poorly in the service. Just ask you, Lord, to be with her, to strengthen her, to heal her and to bless her. Lord, we thank you that you're present in this place. And we just pray for Olive right now. Lord, for healing, for your touch, for your strength, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we'll carry on. Shall we carry on, Rachel? Okay. So the good news for Jacob was that after 20 years, the promises still stand because God is the God who remembers At Bethel, only three chapters before, but those three chapters, 28 to 31, cover 20 years. At Bethel, Jacob had dreamed of a ladder to heaven that gave him access to God. 
And he was promised that he would never be without the presence of God and that one day he'd come home. Genesis 28, 14, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. What's more, Jacob made a vow there at Bethel. He'd said, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Twenty years later, during which time, the last six years have been so hard, living with a controlling family who are all hostile to him, hemmed in by God so that all he could do was be the best shepherd he could be. After all that, God speaks and says to Jacob, it's time to go home. And Jacob realizes now that God was in it all. Jacob even came to treasure some things that had caused him distress. And I wonder if God has hemmed you in, in a difficult situation, um, for a reason. I've never shared this here before, but just after John and Judith Price left, I went to Kingsway. And a man there gave a word, and I, I don't know him, he doesn't know me. Um, but it was very powerful. And it went something like this. Everybody thinks your lamp is shining brightly, but only you and God know how dim the flame really is. And he said, God is going to smash your lamp. I thought that was very scary. God is going to smash your lamp, but it will be in order to reignite the flame. Well, God smashed the lamp. And I remembered this when I read about Jacob who was called to go back after 20 years because it was at this point that he realized there'd been a purpose in everything. God had smashed his lamp. And now, after all these years, Jacob sees that God hasn't forgotten him and the promise still stands. The promises still stand, as do the vows he himself made at Bethel. The Lord remembers every time you stood and made some commitment in response to the word. He remembers your excitement, your vision when life was spread out before you and the future looked so bright. Equally, he remembers your pain and discouragement when things went wrong. And he remembers that we're weak. Psalm 103, he knows how we formed. He remembers that we're dust. God hasn't forgotten you or me or the church at Junction 10. I'm almost finished. What I sense right now is that he's calling us to return to our roots, to come home. I know I've changed so much. We've all changed. This Wednesday, I suppose it maybe it was troubling me that my beliefs almost, my values had changed so much. I don't know. But this Wednesday, I was reading my favourite, Oswald Chambers, and he said this, external life changes due to circumstances. Well, we know that, don't we? But internally, spiritually, he said, we can be consistent. Paul externally lived in the basement while his critics lived on the upper level, but Paul's consistency was deep down in the fundamentals. In other words, when everything else changes, God doesn't change, the inner spiritual life doesn't change. 
outwardly, we've got to change. We've got to keep changing, new expressions, new methods. But inwardly, spiritually, there are fundamental truths that never change. And even though I would say so many of my values had changed, I realized and sensed that I was being called back to those basic truths. Chambers went on to say, state your beliefs to yourself again. Get back to the foundation of the cross of Christ, doing away with any belief not based on it. In secular history, the cross is an infinitesimally small thing, but the, from the biblical perspective, it's got more importance than all the empires of the world. So I did it. I stated my beliefs. And, you know, I don't know now why it was so powerful, but it was. I was just saying, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, born of a virgin, who died and was buried and rose again, triumphing over death. I believe that because he is risen, we also will rise if we believe in him. I believe that every man and woman and child is called to come to him to receive life. I believe that when we receive life, quickened by the Holy Spirit, we're born again. I believe he'll never leave me or forsake me. I believe he's coming again one day in power and glory to rid the world of injustice. And do you know, as I was saying these things, my spirit soared because it's like coming home and there is joy in believing. Nobody believes anything for sure these days. They won't even show the Lord's Prayer, will they, in case it offends people. But there's joy in believing and especially believing in Jesus and most especially in believing in Jesus' cross and all that he accomplished. The cross is of more important than all the empires of the world. The Bible says the message of the cross is the power of God. So in finishing, may I say this. God says, come home, come back to your first love and your first calling. Come back to personal, passionate devotion to Jesus Christ. Come back to the simple priorities of knowing Christ and preaching the cross. That's what releases the energy that changes lives. This is how we come home, like Jacob was called to go home, back to worship and the word and the simple, powerful message of the cross. Remember, we said the church is not an organization. We've got to work to keep going. I have so much more to say, but it can wait for two weeks. Right now, I just believe that God is saying to us as a church, come home, come back to the roots. And this is the scripture he gives us now that will keep us together and unite us and motivate everything we do. 1 Corinthians 1. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. We know about this, don't we? I follow John. I follow Jonathan. I follow Kevin or whoever. Another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. We preach Christ crucified. Stumbling block to some, foolishness to others. But to those whom God has called, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that in all the ups and downs of our journey, 
And in all the ups and downs of people's personal lives, there are things that remain constant. The good news remains constant, that you are in control, that you're greater and stronger than anything that's happening, that you love us, that you've given us life. Lord, I pray that you'll help each one of us to come back to our first love. Just personal, passionate devotion to you, Lord Jesus. There are so many things that get in the way of our concentration on you and we get distracted so easily. But Lord, I just sense that you're calling us to come home, home to the simple truth of who you are and what you've done for us on the cross. And that the message, the simple gospel message that you've given us to share with the world. And Lord, we know that in doing that, an energy is released that changes lives and changes societies, Lord. But it all starts with our first love, which is you, Lord Jesus. So help us to come back to that first love. Just pray for each one here, Father God, that... um, particularly at this time of year when our priorities get all over the place because we're so busy, that each one of us can just come back to that first love. Lord Jesus, we love you because you first loved us. And for that, we give you thanks. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Joe.